episode of the Magical Elections podcast about astrology and magic. My name is Nina Griffin, and I am a traditional astrologer and magician. This podcast is where I discuss astrological magic, favorable magical elections, and host an informal exploration of the traditional magical arts with other magicians, as well as those who are magic adjacent. You can find previous episodes on your favorite podcasting platform, such as the Apple Podcasting app. You can visit my website at ninagriffin.com to read astrological articles and learn more about magical elections. What are magical elections? Many historic magical texts suggest that magical results are enhanced by astrologically electing the moment when the desired magical energies are at their height and performing the magical ritual at that time. In my experience, this is very much the case. However, most astrologers are not magicians, and most magicians are not astrologers. This is where I come in. Every month, I select a few auspicious dates and times, and also recommend traditional materials to use for maximum magical potency, the name of the angels and spirits that should be invoked, and the magical images associated with each talisman. I also include suggestions for further reading and learning, and a magical lesson on a different topic each month. This is all included in the monthly Magical Elections PDF, which you can buy at ninagriffin.com for $15. US Today we will discuss the contents of the March issue of Magical Elections, including a major announcement, and I'll provide a sample-free Magical Election from the March issue. Then we are in for a real treat as I conducted an hour-long interview with the astrologer, magician, and writer Austin Kopik where we discuss the intersection of astrology and magic, so be sure to stay tuned for that. The March issue of the Magical Elections PDF is now available at ninagriffin.com. I identified nine elections for March, and two are Venus elections, as she will be in her domicile Taurus, which is a great condition and opportunity for creating a Venus talisman. These March elections will be our best opportunity for any kind of Venus planetary talisman in 2020, as she will be quite afflicted by Mars and Saturn while she passes through Libra, her other dom- domicile, this fall. So if you think you may want to make a Venus talisman this year, now is the time. These are the talismans for love and romance, attraction, anything to do with the arts, and general enjoyment and good fortune. Venus is also at the center of two decan talismans. One is for the first decan of Taurus, used for increase of wealth, particularly through land and real estate, and also a second decan of Taurus talisman for power, nobility, and authority. We also have an opportunity to catch Mars in his exaltation in Capricorn, as he conjoins the other two superior planets, Jupiter and Saturn. These three planets were last in Capricorn together back in 1901-1902, so this is a very rare opportunity to capture this planetary combination. I am particularly excited to see the Sun in his exaltation in Aries, which was not easy to use for magic these last couple of years, as Saturn in Capricorn was square Aries, but this year, Saturn is at the end of his sign, so we have some leeway to operate. The Sun is also available for a first decan of Aries talisman, which is great for the display of strength and high rank, and as Picatrix calls it, wealth without shame. March also brings another opportunity to make a powerful anti-evil eye and protection talisman for Algol, the fixed star whose name in Arabic is the Ghoul. I also found a wonderful fifth lunar mansion talisman election that offers a wide range of benefits, including clairvoyant dreams, favor from powerful people, educational endeavors, travel by sea, 
relationship harmony, and the improvement of buildings. As in every issue, you can read about the astrological wall of shame, which includes upcoming elections that may look good but do not make the grade. This is helpful if you do your own electing and want to check your work, but also if you purchase any pre-made talismans and are concerned that those elections might not be optimal. It's a good educational tool because it shows you the kinds of things that can damage otherwise favorable electional charts. Now here is the major announcement. As those of you following me on social media may already know, I have partnered up with a top film animator, director, and writer, Minkyu Lee. Minkyu is providing black and white talismanic images for select magical elections for you to print out and use in your magical works, whether you trace the image during your ritual or want to color it in. Minky was nominated for an Oscar based on a short film called Adam and Dog that he wrote, directed, and of course animated when he was still in his 20s. He's worked in the film industry ever since and has had a major role in creating movies like Frozen, Moana, Wreck-It Ralph, and others. In my opinion, Minky is very tuned into the essences of the planets and magical symbolism, as I think you will see in the Magical Elections issue, which contains the images he drew. The free election for March is the first decan of Taurus talisman, which relies on Venus in the first decan of Taurus. This talisman is good for making money for real estate, but it's beneficial for finances in general, and also for anything having to do with real estate or the place you live. I have used an election for the first decan a few years ago when we were looking for a new place to live, and it came through with flying colors. The election is from March 8, 2020, 9.06 a.m. through 9.32 a.m., set for Los Angeles, California. You will want to start out with a zero Taurus degree on the ascendant in your location for the beginning of this election, but as always, keep an eye on the moon and ensure that she is still applying to Venus. Otherwise, she will be a making, she will making a trine to Mars in Capricorn, which is a decent second choice, but not as optimal. The incense to use in your ritual, according to the traditional sources, will be sweet smelling, so rose would be an obvious choice. The name of the spirit of the Deccan, according to one source, is Cho, and it's spelled C-H-O-O-U, or Jaus, G-A-U-S, sorry, J-A-U-S. The image is fairly complex, so listen carefully. I'm quoting directly from the source. It is the whole body of the buried Osiris, adorned with gold and dark tie strings. It has, that is, the image, has the head of a bull and a queen's crown and two elephant's trunks. In the middle of the horns, presumably of the bull, stands the goddess herself. Now, most likely the goddess herself refers to the wife of Osiris, who is the goddess Isis. This is the image you'd want to write or engrave on your talisman. As I always emphasize, the talismanic image is very important because images act directly on the soul without the intermediation of words. You would also write or engrave your goal on the talisman as well as your name. Now it's time for my interview with Austin Kopik. As always, this was a really fun conversation that I was sorry had to end. Austin always has really interesting and well thought out things to say about astrology and magic. Here it is. Welcome, Austin. Hey, Nina. Thank you for having me. So first question, since we just talked about it, let's talk about the new edition of 36 Faces. Uh, so what's, what's changed from the first edition uh, from a few years ago? And uh, when's it coming out? We're very excited. Oh, well, that's good. So what's funny is that it, I actually wrote it in 2013, and it was published in 
2014, but nobody cared until maybe two years ago. I, I, <laughs> uh, I was, was right there for it. <laughs> I, you absolutely were. Um, that's how we met for the first time in person. I was doing a book signing, and I looked up, and I was like, you're Nina Griffin, aren't you? Um, <laughs> that was uh, so funny. It's a great moment. Um, but yeah, so the the first edition, which was through Three Hands Press, has been sold out for ooh, almost two years, um, which is crazy. Um, and I have been hard at work on the second edition. Um, so what's changed? Part of it is just, you know, I've learned something in seven years about, <laughs> about well, subject material. So. Yes. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, and there's a little bit of... There's a little bit of just the inevitability of time. And if you're paying attention, you learn things. I think there's also something to giving the world everything you know. Um, you kind of create a more empty cup situation. So everybody can then ask questions that maybe you hadn't asked or give you little pieces of information which you wouldn't have encountered on your own. So there's going to be, uh, there's going to be a few upgrades. Also, I'm better at using them after seven years of looking at them in readings. Um, we will also be having um, an entirely new set of images um, created uh, in collaboration with Grant Hanna, uh, who, um, if your listeners don't know who that is, Grant, it, Grant was, before I started working with him, a fabulous astro-magical artist. Um, and so I didn't, <laughs> Grant was literally the most qualified person on the planet for this particular job to create a new set of images, uh, magical images for the 36 faces. Um, and so Grant and I have been working on that. We're getting towards the end. Um, it's, uh, I, I've had to push back the deadline a few times, which saddens me, but it gladdens me to know that it's because uh, it's in order to assure that the second edition is stands on its own and is amazing. Um, one of the things about the images is for the first one, I tried to reduce every deck into a single, uh, like a single phrase image, whether it is a cup that is overflowing, an axe, et cetera, et cetera, to try to find... Uh, the equivalent of like the one, the one syllable, the, the the one syllable visual mantra for each one for memory. Um, but that is, as you know, that's not the traditional style of the of the images. And so, having a second edition, I get to do something else, right? So I've done the one phrase, one object, um, sort of root seed. Uh, image and now uh, what we're going to be what what's well underway uh, is a set of images that have the figure or figures in scenes because um, that's really what you that's what you see in the the traditional bank of imagery for the decans is figure or figures interacting uh, wielding power being subject to a situation uh, you see the situation you see the person and it, it's a scene and so the second set of uh, of images is all really rich scene. Um, and I decided not to privilege any one set of images because there are so many different sets. Um, you know, when you look through the history, 
but to integrate as many traditional uh, traditional elements as possible, um, <clears throat> while at the same time, you know, kind of creating a meeting place and a, a, f a fresh creative meeting place that is infused by the traditional imagery. Um, and that where I can, and also that I can keep the one word titles and they'll make sense because they're, they're a key part of that image. It's a key part of the dynamic, but you see the rest of the world around, the rest of the world and the drama around that one thing, right? For uh, Aries one, like, yes, there's an ax, but you know, what is the world that the ax exists within and what is the, who is the figure we building the acts, what is their intent, et cetera, et cetera. That's a great plan. And it sounds like it's really going to be kind of a whole new book in many ways. So certainly people who own the first edition should quite quite obviously go get the second one because it sounds like it's a it's really an evolution of your original thinking in many ways. Yeah, I, I think um, I think there's a I think there's a really good um, really good, good case uh, for getting the second edition. And also because I keep getting asked about it, when people will, when people look up 36 faces online, they see, they'll see prices of like $400, $600 for a paperback. That is the crazy secondhand market. The paperbacks originally retailed for, I believe, $25. Um, and I've got to see production costs so maybe it'll be 30 for this one, but the that that's the price range that the second one will be coming out at is normal book prices, not five hundred dollars. <laughs> right, right. Um so you know, rest assured that if you can afford books, then you can afford this book. Um, that is that is and, reassuring, Austin, for sure. Well, I've had people email me when it was like, how dare you try to scalp everybody? Like, <laughs> You're like, I, I wish like, I was getting a fraction of that, but that's not me. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, um, I, you know, I have, I have some, I still have some of the first edition left and I have never sold one for more than the original price. That's awesome. Um, well, it's like, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, you know, what is, what is a, how should we say, the way that you sell or do not sell something that you created is part of your relationship to it, right? And if you're like, yeah, now I'm in, an, uh, now I'm in a position where I can take advantage of people, then that's, I don't know, that's sort of what you're creating, and that's not what I want. Yeah, it um, seems like not great karma, right? Yeah, we're just, yeah. You're just like you're, you're tainting your own work, mm -hmm. uh, or you're turning it into that. Right. I didn't think anybody would. I, I thought this book was for like maybe 100 people when I wrote it. Um, <laughs> so I certainly didn't. This was not uh, I didn't I didn't write this thing like, you know what? Uh, you know, this is going to be the next pop astrology sensation. I'm going to no, design it yeah. to do that. Right. It's not it's not a money project, but uh, I'm glad more people like it. Um, it's still, you know, there's like 90 pages of history. Um, <laughs> right, the first right. one, and there'll probably be more for the second one. Um, but I do, do, there are delineations of planets by decans, uh, for nativities. That was my, my, um, my putting out a, a bridge or a ramp to make it more accessible without, um, you know, without stretching the material to the point where it yes. wasn't juicy or deep. No, that makes sense, right? You want something that's applicable to people who are astrologers, not necessarily astrology magicians or, or magicians or whatever, right? So that's great. Well, and that, yeah. 
Thank you. And that was part of my secret plan with the uh, with the book in the first place. Is I was like, I want to be able to write about something, one that's just that's rich and hasn't been fully mined, and that we have access to after in the wake of the translation movement. Um, but and I want it to be astrology, but I want it to also be magic. And I don't want to have to build any bridges that aren't there already. And with the Deccans, there's already tons of magical material and astrological material. So instead of telling people that magic and astrology were connected, I was like, I will just take, I will write about this because it, it it's a show, don't tell uh, sort of situation. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah, no, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. So do you have a sense of when it might be coming out? If you know, if you don't want to say because I know that you've moved the deadline a few times or so, you know, I'll understand. But if you do have a sense, please share. Uh, so God willing, uh, May. I really want to be able to walk into Norwalk with a giant stack of books. And, That's a really good um, idea. Everything is on track to do that pretty there it's not only on track to do that, but there's even a little slack built in, um, you know, if the fortunes uh, delay things or if something goes wrong, there's still time to get it out by then. So that's probably a good idea. Really. Yeah. I think given the configurations with Mars and Saturn before then, that's probably wise. Yeah. Mercury retrograde in Pisces is not the most efficient. <laughs> I resemble that remark. Um, all right. Let's, uh, <laughs> you've got, you've got, you've got some mitigations that are not present. You've got some mitigations natally that are not present in the, uh, in the world. In the sky, this in the sky this spring. All right. I'll take it. All right. So moving on then, one of the questions that really interested me and that kind of prompted our whole discussion is I'm very interested in your thoughts on the relative importance of the quality of an astrological election versus the quality of the magical performance. And I'll explain a little bit how that came about. When I was teaching the astrological magic class for Kepler last fall, one of the questions that came up pretty frequently was, you know, am I doing the ritual correct? And is this the right material? Like people are very fixated on the magical aspect of the astrological magic ritual. Uh, but in, in sort of relatively speaking, there was a lot less attention paid to the astrology. And my personal feeling and experience is that the astrology matters, um, again, I think, more than the exact form of the ritual. Because if you have the ritual at the wrong time, it nothing's going to really happen that you were hoping. Um, whereas having the right election is really kind of the key and foundation. But I also recognize that different people might feel differently. And since I think you're another person who is very occupied with both of these fields, I would love to know your thoughts on that and, and experiences. Yeah, that, thank you for uh, asking and, and giving that lead in and your thoughts on it. Um, if, yeah, if, so he, here's the way I've taught it and think about it. Um, we're, we're making a sandwich um, <laughs> and we have, we have the election, which is the format of the celestial potency available. And then we have the material, 
right? Which in a talisman is going to be stone or metal or bone or whatever, um, as well as whatever herbal components you have. You have the stuff, right? You have the time slash configuration of the heavens. Um, and then you have the practitioner in the middle. And then you have what they do, right? Um, and also their capacity to do in this regard. And to some degree, that one, that one, two, three, that three world sandwich is present in all magic, I would say, um, because this is astrological magic and our, the power source is in the skies um, that does privilege that in a meaningful way, right? Mm -hmm. um, now, one of the things that I think about out and try to and work with my students um, about when I'm teaching this is it's not just let's just say uh, uh, let's take Venus right it's the question is not simply is Venus in a good position the question is what are you asking of Venus at this time and this is in the Picatrix um, you need to match uh, your 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 request, right? The type of power you're trying to draw or pull or request to what is available, right? And even a good election, um, even a good election will benefit significantly from <clears throat> uh, from 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 tailoring the what you are trying to do to what is available, um, you know. Um, one way to think about it is: Are you are you going to the store and trying to buy something that's in stock or out of stock? Right. And that's that's a simplification, but it's maybe a useful. One. And because a lot of the thing is, a lot of the times, you know, you might ask for this. Let's you're doing a Mars thing, um, and you know, Mars uh, Mars is a planet with a limited range of powers, but. Um, some of them are not, even on a good Mars election, they're not all available all the time. For example, uh, Mars and Aries, where it is strong, it's well supported by the rest of the chart, can give, uh, can give a glorious visible victory, right? The, um, the triumph in the gladiatorial match that everyone sees and applauds, right? Mars in Scorpio... Um, is not uh, is good for um, to have to to obtain visibility as a conquering force, right? That uh, Mars and Scorpio is uh, Mars and Scorpio's virtue. Um, one of its virtues is that it can <clears throat> bring the same amount of force or power to bear quietly, right? And that may be much better. And so we don't ask uh, Mars and you know I, I wouldn't ask Mars and Scorpio for the celebratory victory, and I wouldn't ask Mars and Aries for the, the silent but deadly. That's right. It's a book, right? So both are good Mars. So, and and I, I think that some elections can, I don't want to say be redeemed, but some elections that are kind of mm, maybe on the line, and, mm. you know, we've certainly, anybody who gets into this, you start looking at elections, and then you're like, oh, this is pretty good, but then there's this, and I don't want to let go of it but i also don't want to blow myself up um and sometimes the answer for those is to ask for what can be given don't ask for like the full archetypal venus right when okay. there's a very there's like one good like the chocolate is available um but the jewelry case is closed right <laughs> ask for the chocolate don't try to don't try to smash it and grab the jewelry <laughs> that's right
Um, but yeah, I think it, I kind of think it all matters. And that that's one of the things that I really like is that you can bring you, uh, there, there are a lot of, um, uh, there are a lot of area, uh, sub areas within the art of astrological magic that you can plug previously existing expertises into, right? Mm-hmm. If you have a background in herb lore, then that, that's fantastic. Um, yep. When you read the herbal recipes in Pikachu, you're like, oh, that's what they're doing, mm-hmm. right? And if you understand the principles, then you can create, you know, you can create the original, but uh, in a way that's consistent with the the essence of the art, right? You can, once once you understand the, the essence of, the, of it, you can improvise in a way that is effective rather than just random. Yeah. Um, same with, same with, if you're a rock hound with stones, if you have like a big ritual background from whatever, whether you did like a golden dawn tradition or a Wiccan or hoodoo or, you know, whatever your background is, there's a place in astrological, there's a piece of your astrological magic that will be stronger if you can figure out um, how to uh, how to to bless the the entirety of your operation with your background. Right. No, that's that's a great answer, Austin. Um, yeah. So I guess following up on that, do you find that do you find that Working with, obviously, you know, having to do astrological magic, um, you know, as I'm, I assume that's kind of the core of your practice. Let me know if not, but I've always, I've always thought of you that way. Um, do you find It's that, really important to me. <laughs> okay. All right. That's, that sounds fair. Do you find that having, having a background in astrological magic, do you even see that as optional for, for magicians? I mean, it seems like everybody could benefit from that, right? Whether you kind of go all out or whether you try to implement certain elements of it, um, it sounds like everyone could benefit to some extent, right? Depending on their astrological prowess. Yeah, well, so absolutely. And this is this has been a... Um, a dialogue and a project in progress between uh, myself and my friend and colleague, Gordon White, who mm-hmm. runs the, the Rune Soup website. Um, you know, one of the, you know, because we've gone back and forth, uh, Gordon, Gordon comes from, uh, he would say a chaos magic background, okay. um, where you, where it's, um, there's a lot more to Gordon's background than that, but that's what he would call it mm-hmm. um, as an approach. Um, where you're not waiting for the stars, right? Right. Um, and so one of the things that we've, uh, you know, figured out, or one of the things that we've come to repeatedly and that comes out of our conversations is the difference between necessary and sufficient timing for a, a given operation. Yeah. The, 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 like, the, the, the bar is set really high for timing for astrological magic. Um, for something like, um, uh, let's see, the, if we're working out of one of the Solomonic grimoires or we're working out of the Higramantia, there are, um, there are astrological timing pieces in those. Um, and that's, that's where that you must be this tall to ride, you know, <laughs> this attraction. And it's not full, you know, it's not like a uh, Picatrix level timing, but it does say, okay, these, these points in the lunar cycle are sufficient for this op- 
inspiration. Um, you know, uh, the, uh, the, there's a preference for day or night. There may be a preference for planetary hours. Um, and the different magic has a different um, sufficient timing. And that, um, because one of the things I've seen, one of the things I've suffered is I've brought um, the full OCD Picatrix timing to forms of magic that didn't require it and constrained myself unnecessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the, the, the tricky thing for me there was that even though almost any operation will, uh, of most kinds of magic will benefit from that crazy level of timing, um, it's not necessary. Whereas to get good results for uh, full talismanic work, it's just, it's, it's absolutely necessary. And so kind of figuring out what is sufficient timing um, is it, for the kind of work you're doing is really important. Yeah, that's a great point. And I'm sure that listeners who are not necessarily astrological magicians, but different schools or practices of magic will probably find that somewhat liberating. Yeah, well, it's just that, like, find me, find me magic without timing, right? Every single art, like every story of of the of of magical power in every I would I would dare say almost every culture that's ever existed, there are timing components, right? There and that's just part of the like the we call the deep archetype uh, or nature of magic is yeah, there are there are times of power, there are places of power, there are words of power, which means not all places are equally powerful, not all times are equally powerful, not all words are equally right. powerful. Yeah, I think I think that's that's exactly right. All right. So before we move on, do you had any? Do you have any other thoughts on this topic that that you wanted to share? Um, can we go back to the original question? I got a little lost. No problem. In, um, right. Well, relative importance, right? <laughs> relative oh, oh, yeah. of astrological uh, timing versus the the ritual itself. And I guess this is this would be in the context of a talismanic um, talismanic election. Right. Um, yeah, for a talismanic election, the my experience of it and my thoughts about it is that everything the for the talismanic it grows out of the election, right? That is the 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 zygote moment, um, and it is really important that that uh, that little spark gets uh, a healthy, strong body. Right. Um, if you have the, the spark without uh, the healthy, strong body, then you've got a, a no go. Um, okay. But because when we're talking about this kind of astrological magic, um, you start with the election um, and then you build around it. You bring everything into harmony with it. That makes a lot of sense. Do you feel that one of the things that I found, um, again, teaching is that you know, I think people had a lot of various levels of magical experience, but um, it's, it is kind of like people weren't really thinking about the importance of the astrology. And as someone who started out with sort of studying astrology much more than magic, it really made me think about, you know, are we focusing on the right thing? I think people are naturally attracted to maybe the theatrical aspects of magic, and so they kind of capture one's imagination but again, having the right astrological moment, you know, it's nothing's going to happen without all the pieces in place. 
Yeah, well, and it's um, I've encountered the same thing too, where I've I've taught um, astrological magic material, um, and there people want to skip over the elections and talk about the fun stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I would say that that's the price that that's a price of admission for the efficacy of um, traditional astrological magic. Um, it's the boring part, and that's the, right. the the painful truth. Um, for some, uh, depending on the painful truth for some folks is that if you want to learn this, it's going to take two years of studying astrology to be able to really do elections on your own and understand why this time and not that time. And that understanding is also what allow, is what allows you to ask for exactly what is being offered, right, which is so important. Um, and so actually, so Nina, I, I stopped teaching astrological magic outside of, an, uh, of a learning astrology context. I teach my astrological magic units at during the second half of my two year of, of my second year of my two-year program so everybody so when I bring it up I have students who've been with me for a year and a half who have all of the electional skills and the technical skills that I can say okay so here's here are the electional criteria here are the electional parameters for this and they can all just do that right rather than being like okay bad bad news uh you're going to need to go back to school for a year um and I did, I made that switch for the first time last year in 2019. And it was, uh, it was so nice. And that's what I will be doing. It's not that I will never teach anything astrological magic outside of that, but my main teaching is going to, is going to continue to be within, um, within the context of the astrology that you need to do it. I think that makes a lot of sense, Austin. And part of it too, in my experience, this is why, you know, I would only teach, for example, intermediate and higher, right, for astrological magic, because mm-hmm. you need to have, you need to be able to find your way around a chart pretty confidently. Um, so, all right, so I guess on that note, what about your personal philosophy of magical elections? For example, you know, how often do you do a magical talisman in your own life? Um, are you a perfectionist? So for example, maybe there's a good election every year, or are you more of like, you know, you'll do a bunch of different rituals. Um, what, you know, what's your thinking on that? How perfect does it have to be? And do you have any recent examples that you'd like to point to? Yeah. So, um, let's see. So when I, I, um, the, the, the Picatrix first came into my hands in September of 2007, and for maybe the first year and a half, I was doing, I was kind of just, I just wanted to do it, right? So I remember like within a month, there was a decent Venus election. I was like, oh my God, there's an opportunity to do this. Yeah. I'm going to do that. And then, um, and just on and on and on for that first little bit. So I wasn't super picky. I was just hungry, you know, and I had some, some hits. I had both hits and misses. Well, no, I would say I had hits. And then hits with weird side effects. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> yes. And, that, you know, that's a little bit of the, that just a quick side note. Um, astrological magic is, um, this tradition of astrological magic at least, is um, really powerful. Um, it really makes shit happen or makes mm-hmm. things stop happening. And um, I think that sometimes when people are looking at elections and be like, oh, it's okay if it's not that great. 
um, you know, the, there's a little bit of a disbelief that it will actually matter. Yeah. Um, but actually, kind of like a natal chart, when you have like a, let's say you have a, you know, really uh, fortunate planet, but then it's uh, square or malefic, like you don't get one or the other, you get, you get both things, um, you know, in the, in the life. That's right. And you'll Open get it to a single, single event perhaps or experience. Yeah. I've, I've never had, in, uh, I've never had an inert talisman or something that just kind of didn't do much. Mm. I've had stuff that, you know, I, I've had, um, uh, <laughs> I believe that I used a metaphor a while back on the astrology podcast, where it's like, I've had raccoon pee mixed into what would I, into the wine I was trying to create. Was <laughs> right. right? Um, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't inert. Um, and so, and, you know, just having had uh, friends and peers and colleagues who've been doing these experiments for a while, I've heard not horror stories, but like, oh, so you got your leg broken after you made that thing and you can see exactly where in the talisman it is. Or there was that, you know, there's a learning from your own mistakes. There's learning from each other's um, imperfections. Um so let me let me loop back to the original question. Um, so after I, I kind of was just ready for anything and just super experimental, I ended up um, and I okay, it's funny is I ended up being a degree of exaltation hunter. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and the first the, the first one of these was a Saturn in degree of exaltation. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if that work, actually um and ended up setting a tone or a trajectory for uh for following that project more fully because that's so saturnian right saturn that's in the right. degree of exaltation rising in the day and hour right uh, um and and so yeah and so after and then fortunately like i think a year or two after that there was jupiter in its degree of exaltation there was a mars and then, as you remember, there was a moment, there was about 37 minutes, where both the sun and moon were in their degrees of exaltation at the same time. I do um, A few years ago. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, anyway, and so for a while, I was uh, DOE hunting. Um, <clears throat> and then, but that's changed. And I'm still, I'm still, you know, I've still got eyes open for that. Um, but, um, uh, uh, Kate starting the sphere and sundry project, um, and also the release of the celestial art and this, un this crazy unprecedented wave of interest in astrological magic, which I did not expect. Um, it was maybe, I want to say early 2018 is where, I don't know if that's when it started, but that's when it became uh, clear to me. Yeah. Um, I, I've, I've so I've sort of changed gears, um, and another part of that was I don't know I want to say twenty God it might have been twenty fourteen might have been twenty thirteen but I started doing um, like a weekly I started doing daily we call them planetary prayers mm -hmm. where I would just do not a big ritual but a little like check in honoring offering with whatever planet's day was on its hour. Yep. Um, and that I started with Jupiter as part of, there's a, a little Facebook group that was kind of half secret called gentlemen for Jupiter. That's right. Um, right. Uh, it was G4G or G4J. Um, 
And um, and so it was sort of a like, hey, what happens if we just do a little Jupiter every week? Um, and then I did that for a while and it was nice. And so I was like, what if I do a little Jupiter every week and a little Mercury every week and a little, you know, a little everything every week? Um, and so that, that was actually a nice counterpoint to the degree of exaltation hunting, right? Which is every, if you can get it every five years, you're, you're doing great. Um, and so, uh, and then anyway, and then, you know, things, uh, things, things changed again over the last, you know, last two years. And so then I've been the resident, uh, electional astrologer for my wife, Caitlin Kopik's uh, sphere and sundry project. Um, and that's been really, that's really different than what do I need for just me? Yeah. Right? Um, and I'm, I've got some sun, sun, moon, Saturn stuff in my chart. And if you ask me what I need, my default answer would be like, I need nothing from the world. Right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, but, um, with, with sphere and sundry, it's a, it's not about, you know, the, those elections aren't for me. It's yeah. what is and I'm going to steal, um, uh, uh, steal a phrase from Alexander Cummins. Uh, he had a he wrote a book. He published a book like I want to say 2013, 2014, um, about uh, astrology during the role of astrology in uh, at the time of the English Civil War. And he was <clears throat> uh, he was talking about oh, how did they think about astrological magic. Is, and uh, the turn of phrase is just perfect. And it was the, um, what is, you're harvesting the fruit when it's ripest. And it's like, and so I, the difference in electional priorities for me is, am I hungry? What do I want to eat? Right. Versus like, what's in season? Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, are there plums? I don't have to like plums. Right. Right. Um, are, but are there, are there fine plums available? Um, and keeping an eye out for that. And as we, we talked about a little bit earlier, um, the types of elections are a little bit different. I go out of my way to make sure for Sphere and Sundry that it's um, the safest version possible because I will take risks in my own practice, in my own life, that I don't feel good about taking, uh, that I don't feel about taking on behalf of someone else. Because, as you know, this stuff is powerful. Like, you can fuck yourself up. Very right? much and so. therefore you can yeah. you can fuck other people up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's quite. And there's also yeah, yeah, and, and and also you know the with Sphere and Sundry, you know, there's dialogue about the elections. I'm like, well, maybe we can get this. And Kate's like, well, what can we get any of these? What do you think? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that's also different than like a thing just for me, right? That is quite true. I. I guess on that note, are there any uh, changes in your own practice apart from obviously maybe being more conservative uh, with respect to these elections? Any insights or any um, kind of feedback that you've gotten? Sphere and Sundry has been going strong for for quite a while now. And at this point, I imagine you have a lot of information about how different things have worked for people. Is there anything that maybe surprised you or, or even affirmed something that you already knew was important that you'd like to share with the world? Oh, let's see, a couple of things. I've definitely learned a lot um, from, the, from the Sphere and Sundry project. Um, one, I am, I was surprised, no longer surprised, but I was initially surprised at how well 
um, some of the perishable material holds the charge from a properly elected and, um, and ritually constructed moment. Um, yes. I was surprised that, that the oils held as much as they do. Um, because I had, you know, I, I had previously either done, uh, well, I, I'd done paper talismans back in the day. Um, and then when I switched to metal and stone, I was like, oh, I'm never going back. This is a, this is a universe of difference. Um, and, but I, I hadn't really, I hadn't worked with, I think we made, we made candles in 2010. We made some like Saturn candles and we made some, there was a really nice Venus and Taurus, Jupiter in Pisces election a million years ago. Mm -hmm. We made candles for those and that worked out really well. And they had a lot of juice. Um, and so I had the, that limited memory of that working. Um, and so, you know, theoretically oils or whatever, I didn't think that the oils would be, I certainly didn't think they would be inert. Um, but I was really surprised, um, at just how much juice they, they held, uh, and hold. So that was one thing. It was like, okay, so you really, the, um, this bringing, uh, bringing the sky power down into objects, um, it might be um, particular, it, you know, stone. I would say stone is, if we have to pick one material, is the, the archetypal material. The etching, the pattern of the skies into the stone below feels like the, the myth of the whole, whole art. Yep. Um, but it kind of applies to everything else, too. <laughs> and it, it, things work differently, right? Like a hydrosol is different than an incense, is different than an oil, is different than a stone. Um, but you can really bring it all down. Um, and so that's that's one thing. Um, I was pleasantly surprised at how powerful everything was. Mm -hmm. And part of that is Kate's magical background um, and inherent skill. Um, it's yes. not that, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, the, the, the human, uh, doing it matters. It always matters. It very um, much but matters. If, uh, yes. Um, so, but anyway, but that nonetheless was like, oh, okay, you can, a person can at least learn to do that. They may not be able to do it, um, like Kate, but they can learn to, um, practice that art effectively. Mm. Um, so that was one thing I, I, that opened my eyes and the Picatrix makes little, illusions to like it'll be like oh yeah you could do this in bone if you wanted or like yeah you could use some wood but mostly right. you know uh, <laughs> and there's some incense sections right yes but uh but anyway so that was really interesting um and then um kate has maintained a forum for all of her clients and also, I would say, created a really good space uh, emotionally, intellectually, where people feel free to share their experiences and talk about it. Mm -hmm. And so, it, I, you know, I just never had the opportunity to hear 30 people talk about their experiences with the materia um, that was consecrated, created on this one Venus, right? Like just getting that range of experiences, both internal, um, like, oh, this changed my, my mood and mental uh, mm -hmm. orientation mm -hmm. this way, but also external, like I put this on and then I went to, to, you know, my grandma's birthday party and these very unusual things happen. Like yes. getting that much feedback is just, you know, it's, it's, 
it's it's you know it's always theory and practice, theory and practice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so there's been a lot. Uh, sometimes other you can learn from other people's practice, and so that's been it's been a a, a, a goldmine of of data, um, for yes. lack of a better term. That makes sense. What about astrologically, Austin? Is there something that you perhaps in the past wouldn't have done that you think is okay, or vice versa? based on this data that you're getting in? Um, I would say that my, like the, my electional spectacles um, are, are, are a little bit more nuanced. Like I've gotten, you know, I, I, I'm, I, I would say I've gotten better, but that the shape is very similar. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, electional protocols from um, from a distance are very simple. Like, make sure the planet has great essential dignity. Stick it on the rising or midheaven in ideally its day and hour. Make sure the moon is in good shape and supported. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I I wouldn't say that any of those things are not important now. <laughs> like, yeah. I would say after many years of practice, that I can triple down on that. Mm-hmm. It's all these judgment calls. Right, yes. Where you're like, okay, is is this thing going to work? And like, is this a deal killer? Is this going to make it weaker? Will this give it a side effect? Or if we if if uh, if we work it this way, if, if we request what's being offered, will, will that actually work perfect for this, even though it wouldn't work perfect for some other, let's say, you know, Venus things, right? Like no jewelry, but lots of chocolate. Yes. Like, let's just make sure to ask for chocolate. Um so there's there's definitely some fine tuning, and there are some things that I'm um, I go easier on than I used to, and there are some things that I probably go harder on than I'm used to than I used to. Um, I will never do I will never schedule a project that is not at least in the planetary hour. Everything else can be perfect, but I've become a little bit of a, a uh, have, you know, day and hour would be better, but planetary hour fundamentalist. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. I, I'm, um, you know, because I, I've spent a lot of time with Hellenistic astrology and over the last two and a half years, I've done like, uh, you know, uh, uh, super in-depth Vedic astrology. And both of those are um, these, uh, the, whole sign houses are an important component of both. Um, and, and so the, I've, uh, um, the question of like, so this is in the, you know, we can have something that's in the first how it's in the first sign. Right. But how close to the ascendant is it? And you can have something that, you know, is it in the quadrant style 12th or first and then same with the 10th, right. You could have something that's in the quadrant style. You know, we, we've got multiple house systems and so I, I would say I've gotten a little bit better at um, making judgment calls where there's not total agreement. Um, you know, what I'm shooting for is always total agreement on all layers. Um, yes. But like, is it okay that this is in the quadrant 12? And is it okay if it's there by 10 degrees or 15? Or should I keep it to five? Mm-hmm. Right. And then there, there's also the like, um, you know, whenever we're making talismans or, you know, consecrating big stuff uh, or doing a big petition, right? Not just like a, 
you know, continue to bless me with uh, success and opportunity, Jupiter. Um, mm-hmm. But like a big, I, a big a ask. Specific right? ask. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, what, yeah. Uh, what's okay. What's not, what can I, what can be forgiven? <laughs> yeah, right. And then if there is an error or an error, or if there is an imperfection, um, this is a really, I think this is really crucial. Will this just make it weaker or will it make it go sideways? As you right? say, side effects, right? Yeah. Like, is this a lower proof alcohol or is there raccoon pee in there, right? Is there a totally <laughs> right. different- Right, is it actually that... the kind that'll blind you, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it what a ma, uh, methanol, right? Yeah. Is this just like not great vodka or, yeah, or is it uh, full-on moonshine? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, that's a great answer, Austin, and I, I really appreciate your, your going into detail on that because, yeah, I think- you know, doing what you do for, for Sphere and Sundry, it's nice. You kind of get a lot of feedback and it's, um, you know, I, I hope that makes its way into your, certainly your teachings as well as, you know, any books or anything like that, because it's a, it's a great resource. So I guess on that note, yeah, on that note, I had one more question, uh, which was, are there any, uh, magical astrological either opportunities or upcoming pitfalls that you see coming in 2020. So I'm talking about either things that you'd like to draw people's attention to that are perhaps good for astrological magic or conversely opportunities that are not all that they may promise or all that they may seem. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's see, there, there are certainly, there are always, uh, there are always plenty, you know, part of, part of, I would, uh, ev- I think everyone's experience when they get really into this and start looking for elections mm-hmm. is you, f- you get stuck on like, oh, that's so good. And I want that, but this is in the way, can I get away with it or, mm-hmm. <laughs> or not? That's so and true. So one of my, fr- one of my frustrations and I, with my students, I'm like, this is going to happen. Get ready for it. Um, you're not, there are some that you really shouldn't do and that you're going to have such a hard time emotionally letting go of. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's part of the like secret emotional maturity requirements of the art is you have to like let go of it, even though you want it. That's so true. Yep. Um, so one of the things that I find particularly frustrating um, and that uh, others may have as well and certainly will is I was looking I, I was looking for some good Mercury and Gemini. Uh, I like I really like good Mercury and Gemini. I have a Gemini moon. It feels um, it's ecstatic and light and fun for mm-hmm. me when I when I when I've done good Mercury and Gemini work. Um, and. I was looking at Mercury and Gemini this year and it's co-present with a retrograde Venus the entire time. And, you know, it's like, and so it's, it's a, it's a frustrating one because on the surface you're just like, "Mm, I don't want that. But then you start thinking about it. If you do want it, but you're (laughs) like, well, but you know, it's Mercury, it's Mercury's sign. Right. And Mercury is, you know, Mercury has, yeah. Has has the big dignity there, right? A planet in the sign with their ruler kind of has to follow the ruler's intention. <clears throat> but then you're like, okay, but what is it like? Is you know, um, is is Venus uh, is the retrograde Venus just going to add some artistry to the Mercury words and thoughts? 
Um, if it was, if Venus was direct, then sure. But it's mm, what do what do what do Venus retrogrades bring up? You know, they bring up they bring up the problems, right? They bring up what doesn't feel good. And as a as a transit, that can be a, a valuable process to go through. Um, but there's a difference between this is a valuable process versus I want to wear this around all the time, mm-hmm. right? Um, like, like therapy can be really valuable for a person, but it, you don't want to be in therapy mode and processing. seven. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. How mad you were when you were 12 that your dad said this to you. Like, yeah, exactly. Like at work or, you know, um, <laughs> right. and then, and then Mars is also at least in a whole science square, uh, to the, to the whole time. And then, you know, you start thinking like, well, but you know, it's a it's it's a departing square, and but then you look at the charts, and you're like, well, if I put Mercury on the rising, then Mars is right next to the midheaven, and so I think that's that's a that's a frustrating one and potentially a trap. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, and then um, I guarantee that there going there's going to be an attempted gold rush on Saturn and Capricorn in its last couple months in the sign. Mm-hmm. These people are going to be like, oh, shoot. Like, I, I really want, uh, you know, I really wanted to step Saturn and Capricorn thing. And I either drag my heels or I just, you know, have recently come to appreciate this art. Yes. And so you look at the last couple months that Saturn's in Capricorn and we've got, um, we have, have uh, a very inflamed retrograde Mars and Aries square to it, oh, right? Yeah. And that's yeah. uh, that would be a no-no. I think <laughs> Mars- I think we can agree that would be a no-go for that for that talisman. Yep. Yeah, yeah. That's um, and you know what's funny is the uh, so the the station the retrograde station is what September eighth or ninth, mm-hmm. and it's Mars at twenty eight. 28 Aries and then Saturn at 25 Capricorn. So it's a tight applying square. Yeah. Right. And so that's, that's, that's a no, no, but then, right. And this is, I don't even know whether this is a trap or whether it can be figured out or not. I haven't made my final decisions on all this yet. Mm-hmm. It's like, but what about, you know, what about when Mars is direct and it's at 15 and Saturn's all the way at 27 and like, yeah, they're square by sign, but you know, the, that's where that's, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. there's a lot of right. like, then you have to decide, are you a whole sign aspect kind of person or are you an orbs kind of person, you know, or, or maybe in this particular election who you are. Right. Well, yeah. And yeah. And also, you know, what do you ask from, and, and Jupiter is coming up on a conjunction with Saturn then too. Right. Um, and so Jupiter's not Jupiter's not necessarily going to set everything on fire like Mars is, but it 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 probably um, should probably be taken into account at least. You know, of the many things of the the many uh, the many things that that Saturn and Capricorn can possibly do, right? Which which do we ask for? Which do we select? Which do we sigilize for? Which do which do our images um, suggest? And so, yeah, there's there there's a, a there's a, there are a lot of opportunities um, to curse yourself with Saturn talismans during the second half of the year. <laughs> Doesn't mean there there may be some good moves hidden in there somewhere, but it's definitely it's definitely um, 
it's definitely a set of landmines. Yeah, you'll definitely have to thread that needle pretty carefully, I think, to find good opportunities for Saturn a lot of this year. Oh, and yeah, and just that just reminds me, that's another thing um, that was like a big um, boo is um, looking for Venus and Libra this year. You know, when, oh the, when the Venus and Libra. Yeah, let's, let's talk about it, that for about two hours. Um. <laughs> I was like, oh, Mars is opposite in Aries the entire time. And yeah. I was like, I guess, I guess the, um, you know, it's a uh, no. plum. Yeah. I guess the the plums uh, the plums are uh, are full of worms are not fine or this season. Yeah, yeah. It's quite <clears throat> a lot of my students found a really great Spica elections. You know, with Venus on Spica at twenty four Libra, and they were just super stoked. And of course, you know, I was like, well, look at Saturn and look at Mars. Probably not what you want to do this fall, but you know, it's, as you said earlier, right. People get attached to elections. So it's, it, sometimes it can be hard to let go. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think part of the answer for that, cause it's, it's, you can have a completely, I mean, certainly one can just like lust for a particular planetary, um, you know, flavor, planetary mm -hmm. potency, um, but there can also be underneath that a legitimate intuition that this is going to fit really well in your life and teach you something. <clears throat> and that can like speak of, for example, you know, really useful for some people, um, generally useful, but really a great fit for certain people. And so that can be a completely legitimate intuition. And that doesn't make that election okay. Um, but it means like, oh, no, I have a real, I have a very real attraction for Spica. And so I should look at what's available the next year and the next year. Or if um, if I know somebody who did, who does good work, who did Spica work before, you know, like back when Jupiter mm -hmm. was, con uh, Jupiter was on Spica and we didn't have Saturn or Mars uh, in the way, um, you know, maybe I can buy a piece from them. Um, you know, part of it is like, you know, recognizing that there may be a legitimate desire for that, but that doesn't mean that you need to um, follow through with the battle election. You know, one of the nice things, one of the nice things I've experienced with Spear and Sundry um, is there, there were some, you know, we did a bunch of Jupiter elections while I was in Sag because of yes. course, right? Um, and I wouldn't have done all of that on my own. Um, mm -hmm. But now that it's around... I think some of the supplies are dwindling on some of it, but, um, you know, now that that's around, it's like, Oh, you know what? That, you know, that, uh, um, you know, the, that, uh, that one series that had the moon on Regulus and Jupiter on the rising, like I, I, that would go really nicely, um, in this little work or petition, uh, or just in this moment, you know, it, it's just there. Um, yes. And it was harvested at the right time. And so, you know, like, I don't have to be like, oh, I want to work Jupiter, but Jupiter's in Capricorn. And it's coming up on Saturn. And, you know, um, it kind of gets you like, this is a, a, you know, I, I think of my, my grandma on my mom's side was a canning fanatic, mm -hmm. right? There were always like, you know, the entire basement was just full of like these kind of pickles and these kind of pickles and this from the yes, garden. Yes. Um, and there, there's a little, you know, like there's a little bit of building up your life 
library of of of, of canned of pickled foods, right? Mm-hmm. Which are which are harvested at exactly that right moment, um, yep. rather than going out to the garden and trying to eat, you know, trying to eat the tomatoes before you <laughs> bite. Right. I think one of the you know one of the things too about this is that as you say, you have to take what you can while you can, right? Recognizing that, especially with planets like Jupiter and Saturn, it may be quite a long time before a great opportunity presents itself. So I think a lot of this, one of, that's the other thing too, is people learn very quickly is you start developing a very uh, far into the future calendar, right? Where you say, oh yeah, 2025 is really good for this because, you know, whatever else. So you have to start thinking kind of very long term and you have to accept that some of these things really just come around um, every once in a blue moon and you better take opportunity, you know, take that opportunity when you can. Yeah. And, and that's uh, um, developing, uh, I would say exactly. And developing that kind of framework is um, simultaneously humbling and empowering mm-hmm. because you don't, you you don't just get to yell at the skies. Um, That's and, right. You know, the equivalent of that, which is working the bad elections, um, yep. makes that increasingly clear. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is tremendous, um, you know, there there's uh, tre- there are tremendous boons, right? There is real magic on offer, but mm-hmm. you do have to humble yourself at least before the timing of it. And so, and I, I feel like astrologies. Uh, in general like that and teaches those things and that makes sense that astrological magic would um, would pair those two lessons yep yeah that makes sense and I think as you've alluded to a number of times so much of this is about accepting what is on offer and also the ability to let go of your personal desires you know that things are a certain way when clearly as you say the jewelry may not be on offer at this time you better be you know happy with the chocolate (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And if you don't like chocolate, you don't have to eat it, right? That's You're not, right. And that, that's, <laughs> that's right. Give it to me. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and that's, that's <laughs> been one of the big lessons from, you know, electing for just me or just me and a few close people versus electing for Sarah and Sundry is I'm just like, what's in season? It's not, mm-hmm. uh, I, may, I may not like honeydew melon, um, but if there's excellent honeydew melon, there are people who like honeydew melon. Yep. Yeah, that's such a great point. That's such a great point. So you'd, in a way, you'd, you'd better learn to like a lot of different things, right? <laughs> well, or, you know, I mean, you don't, um, yeah, you do what you want, but just recognize that, um, and I think astrology always does this, is it teaches you to disentangle your preferences from what works mm-hmm. for certain people. They're like, oh, that's not the way I would do things, but that works for this person, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And that, that that starts with something as simple as looking at essential dignities. Like, you know, you could, a person could have a really amazing, uh, like Jupiter and Pisces, um, and the Jupiter and Sag person is going to Jupiter very differently, but it's it's an equally valid way, method of Jupitering. Yes. You're like, oh, okay. I don't, I don't, I don't know the one, I don't have the one truth. There are not mm-hmm. an infinite number of ways to do this well, but that's a legitimate variant. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. Wow. Well, I feel like we went 
all over the place, Austin. Um, any any final words before we bring this interview to a close? I always enjoy talking to you because it's at once grounding and inspirational. So I'm I'm really glad that my listeners had an opportunity to kind of hear it hear it from you. Well, that's really nice. I I feel likewise about talking with you. Um, we've been we've been talking about this stuff <laughs> for a long time. For many now. years now. Um, that's true. We've yeah. definitely recorded, but. This is not unre- no. un- unrepresentative of our typical conversations. No, not at all. And and so I, I, I would just say thank you. Um, I really enjoyed just getting into it um, uh, again. And I, I hope that you will join me on my podcast um, sooner rather than later so we can continue the conversation. I would love to. I, I will be in the hot seat trying to answer questions. So the tables will be turned, everyone. Well, thank you very much, Austin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I'll have you on in the near future if you're if you're open to it, because I feel like there's always an inexhaustible supply of interesting things to talk about with you. Oh well, thank you. Uh, I think yeah, some you're... of it's the subject matter, but <laughs> you know, because the it, there's it's always another chunk, right? The um, true. You know, it's ne- it's never the same thing. Astrology refreshes itself by by being different every time. I think if we just follow that, then we, you know, we always have new things to say because new things are always happening. Yep. That's quite true. We never run out of things. That's very nice. I will take that compliment. Yeah, no, take Um, it. And I appreciate it. it. It's intended that way. That was such a fun interview. I hope you agreed. That is it for this episode of Magical Elections. My name is Nina Griffin, and I welcome your comments and questions. You can reach me at ninagriffin.com, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I wish you a magical march. Thank you.